0: Hello, everyone. Good morning, everyone. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. And happy Thanksgiving to all of you who are watching, whoever the all are on Facebook Live. Maybe you couldn't make it here today, but you're still part of this gathering. So happy Thanksgiving to you as well. And uh, we are continuing in a series we started a couple of weeks ago called Didn't See It Coming, which is based on a new book by a preacher, a Canadian preacher this time by the name of Carrie Newhoff. Boy, I would really challenge you to, to get a copy of this book. Um, I'm you know, playing around with it and putting my own material in it here and there, but I would really challenge you to get it. He has some wonderful things to say, uh, not only to Christian folks, but to non-Christian folks, people who work in some type of leadership or people who don't, uh, because what's being talked about here is real stuff in real life. And uh, he calls them the seven challenges that no one expects but everyone faces. And usually we come to grips with these things when it's a little bit too late and some kind of catastrophe has happened and we realize, oh, boy, this all had a beginning and this all had a process. And if we can head these things off at the past, so to speak, and we can deal with these challenges in our own lives and see them for what they are It can save us a whole lot of grief and make us a whole lot more joyful and a whole lot more useful uh, to people and also to God. So we talked about cynicism in the first week and last week we talked about compromise. What a week it has been. So did, did you all go out and vote? Did you vote, those of you who are watching on Facebook? Well, I hope all of you voted because if you didn't vote and you could vote, then guess what? You can't complain. Uh, But wow, a landslide victory by the Coalition Avenir du Québec. Very interesting. And yesterday in the United States uh, by the slimmest of margins ever, I think ever a nominee for the Supreme Court of the United States, Brett Kavanaugh. Uh, has been confirmed, and we talked about these things last week because they all are examples of people looking for or discussing the subject of compromise or potential compromise. And today, we're going to talk about disconnection. Disconnection. So again, uh, Christian people, people, church-going people, people of faith. We are probably amongst the worst when it comes to these subjects because we're very embarrassed to admit them when we struggle with them, right? So, good morning, brother so-and-so. Good morning, sister so-and-so. How are you this Thanksgiving? Oh, I'm blessed and highly favored. Thank you very much. Or how about, well, I'm cynical, <laughs> I'm disconnected, you know, I'm, I'm irrelevant, I'm proud, I'm burnt out, I'm empty. Thank God you're here. So we're, we can be very dishonest with one another, and we can be very dishonest with ourselves, and very dishonest with God, but the reality is we struggle with these things also, and we would do well to admit it, we're human after all. And so today we're talking about disconnection. Um, If you'll put the picture of the cell phones on the screen there. Uh, I don't know if any of you have any of these, but this is my personal cell phone graveyard. Uh, There's even one or two phones that didn't make it into the graveyard because one of them, I literally, just to be honest with you, I threw it up against a wall and smashed it. So it didn't make it to the graveyard, uh, but it would be to the left of the farthest one on the left, and these are in chronological order. So I saved them, and I took a picture of them and put it in black and white to make it look like a graveyard. Uh, Do you remember when they first came out? the wireless portable phone. So the first ones that came out were really big. Do you remember? And they had, and they had a big antenna on them. Do you remember? And you, even, even pastors, when pastors had them, they had to, this little briefcase that that I don't know what the deal was, but they put it in their car, and you know sometimes they had an antenna on the car that was connected to the phone, and you know when pastors had it, it was like wow they're really important they're really or anybody had it wow they have a portable wireless telephone they can call anyone at any time receive calls from any wow and they don't have to be like at a phone with a wire remember those days. And then what happened? They started to get a little smaller and they started to get a little cheaper and they started to get a little more accessible. The one on the far left, uh, out of all the phones that I have buried, that one on the far left had the best quality. You could listen and you could actually hear the person talk, you know, and they could hear you talk. You could actually have what sounded like a conversation back then. But that, that was before they came out with what? texting. Remember when texting came out? It was like, you could actually use the phone to also text somebody. And then they had texting plans, right? So you had to pay. You know, you would pay per text at the beginning. It was like 25 cents to send a text message. And if people had a texting plan, it was like, wow, they can call and they can text. This is powerful like this is revolutionary technology you know and it got it got smaller it got a little better and then you then you start to have these other things on phones and then all of a sudden the phones became they they changed from dumb phones to smartphones so now you could do email on a phone you could listen to music on a phone you could text on a phone you could make a an old-fashioned phone call on a phone and then you start having stuff like FaceTime and Skype and all of this and it was like this phone is this magic miraculous thing that has now transformed you know civilization right this is a amazing amazing changes that we, that we've had because of these phones and I've bought them and I've buried them and I'm gonna bury another one next year because the, you know, the battery starts dying really fast, right? And the operating system is, is too big for the phone and they force you to buy another phone. That's how they do it, right? And you know we just keep buying them and buying them. And so we're, we're so connected now. Why would we talk about disconnection? I mean, with that device that you have, you can connect with anyone in the entire world and you can connect with hundreds maybe even thousands of people all at once i mean we have people we're using this stuff we have people watching this live via facebook they're not here they're not here in the present in body but you know they're here electronically you say wow we are so connected yes well why is it then that we are like the most disconnected, we feel the most disconnected that we've ever before? Why is it that we're so lonely? Why is it that we're so isolated? Even though we have this technology, it seems like, yeah, yeah, we have it, but we're still missing something. And this is now being taken very, very seriously Uh, There is an article that I found um, written by a a psychologist in the U.S. She's the first one who has done a clinical study uh, on loneliness and the power and the effect of loneliness and isolation in life and uh, she's the first one who's done a really detailed study, and she talks about loneliness as being comparable to the risk of smoking up to 15 cigarettes a day. Why are we so lonely when we have all this technology to connect us? And the article uh, that I found, a Canadian article talking about uh, a woman A Quebec woman who moved out, uh, you know, very independent, moved to another town with her her two sons. She's very independent, very self-sufficient, and yet finds herself to be extremely lonely and wonders if that's okay. And this psychologist is saying loneliness is a danger to your health is what it is. And, and she would argue, why is no one seeing this? And and uh, these social scientists talk about str- uh, loneliness in three different ways and, and how it can significantly uh, hurry mo- uh, uh, death. And there's a significant, as they put it, mortality risk to being intensely lonely. They talk about structural, that's the presence or absence of others. Uh, They talk about functional, that's what relationships actually do in our lives. They talk about quality and what positive and negative relationships do in our lives. And she's not the only one, uh, but there are people who are saying, wow, you better watch out because we may be the most connected generation technologically, but arguably we might be the most isolated and the most alone maybe more than ever before Uh, i just think people don't don't know how to talk about it Uh, this this person who is being interviewed maybe if loneliness was cooler maybe we need a celebrity endorsement for loneliness it's this disconnection you say well how can we be disconnected when we have these phones Maybe those of you who especially have kids, you you, you know how this works, right? So, uh, or you could just do a little experiment and walk down the street. And what do you see? You see people who are walking, sometimes with people or in front of people, and they're staring at this phone. It doesn't matter who's in front of them. It doesn't matter who's behind them, who's left or who's right. They could be with their significant other. They could be with their kids. They could be with their dog. They could be with any... The, the, they're oblivious to everyone around them except what is on this device. Maybe they're talking to someone on the device, but the disconnection is with everybody else in the immediate vicinity except what's on the phone. And this is why there's this disconnection, because we're, we may be connected, but we're not connected to the people who are right there right in front of us go to a restaurant and watch families and watch couples it's amazing you got the you got the, they're both got phones they're sitting in front of one another they're not dialoguing with one another but they're on a phone and their kids are on a phone and uh you know they can be in the same room and be texting one another not even dialoguing with one another just texting one another in the same house with these little devices This is a, it's a strange paradox because we're more connected than ever before, but we're, wow, we're more disconnected than ever before as well. And so we look and, you know, we may look at our kids and then they put earphones in their ears, right? And then they're really tuned out. What are you doing? What are you doing? They don't even hear what you're saying. And so what do we want to do as a solution to this, this, this? Well, maybe we could smash them, you know, we could destroy them, and that would, that would fix everything, you know? We wouldn't have this kind of this weird, disconnected paradox. we will just destroy these phones. Now, is that really the answer? Uh, if you go to the, again to the next slide, here's the problem with just smash the phone. Um, loneliness was there before phones came out. This this connection was there before phones came out, smartphones and all that. Do you remember when the Sony Walkman came out? Any of you old enough to remember that? So people could take music. The thing was like this big, right? And it was a cassette, you know, audio cassette. Do you know what an audio cassette is? Any of you know what an 8-track is? Less hands. Any of you know what a vinyl record is? Oh, okay, okay. So, so some people, you've, you've been around the block, right? So, so a Sony Walkman, you know, you had it on, your, on your, your belt, and it was like bright yellow, remember? And you would put the earphones in your ears like this, and you would tune everyone out. What the technology does is it, it, it amplifies what's already there. It does. It does a really good job of enhancing what already may be inside us. So if a person has a tendency to to isolate themselves or to disconnect from other people, or you know maybe they just don't like the people they're around, wow, this is an amazing excuse, right? I mean, you go, well, I'm working. I'm on my phone. I'm you know. And I remember when when the blackberries came out, or you know phones that could handle email. If you're a workaholic, you just keep working. You go home and you keep working and working and working and, you know, nothing else matters because I'm working. I have my phone. Well, it can be a really convenient excuse to not dialogue, to not have relationships with the people who are right in front of us. So rather than think that the technology is evil and we need to smash it and destroy it, we need to just look at it. Well, it's a tool. And it can be used to to enhance people's lives or to isolate people. It depends on how we decide to use them. But the technology tends to amplify what's already there, what's already inside of us. This disconnection that is so prevalent, this loneliness that people feel, this isolation that people feel in spite of the technology. Do you know what the answer is to that? The answer is the church. The church is, holds the solution to this problem of isolation. And it's amazing the way that the church is designed, the, way, the DNA, if you will, of the church and what the church really is solves the problem ultimately of disconnection in a beautiful way. No, I believe no other, no other structure, if I can use that term, like the church, no other setup like the church, no other organism like the church can do it. And these are the two things that the church offers, or at least two of them. The church offers many things. Uh, conversation and confession. You say, wow, what are you talking about? Conversation and confession. So when I say church, I'm not talking about a building. I hope I hope you're learning that as we Jump from building to building. We'll see how long this one lasts, right? Uh, but the church is, I'm looking at the church right now. I'm, I'm looking right at you right now. And you are the church, you are the ecclesia, you are the the, the gathering of the believers, the called out ones. Um, and in the church, you have these things that combat disconnection in a beautiful way. Conversation, which is a dying art apparently. And confession, which is an all-but-dead art. These are the antidotes to disconnection. Let me show you how. Really short book on the subject of conversation. Really short book in the New Testament that you can read on your own. It's, it's the second letter of John. Uh, he writes three, one John, two John, three John. He writes you know, his own gospel, the gospel of John. He's probably the author of the book of Revelation, but one of the little letters he writes is 2 John. It's really nice, really short, short, short uh, book. There is a magnificent truth that is taught in this book that is often overlooked when it comes to this subject of disconnection. And you could read the whole the whole letter on your own. It's only 13 verses, but just to skim it, um, he's writing to a specific woman um, and her, uh, her children, apparently. And he wants to give them some encouragement. He wants to give them some warning. He wants to give them some advice. Verse 4, it has given me great joy to find some of your children w- uh, walking in the truth just as the Father commanded us. And now, dear lady, I am not writing to you a new command but one we have had from the beginning. I ask that we love one another. Mm, Wow, we love one another. Just a pause there. Do you know how many one another's there are in just the New Testament alone? How many times there is... There's a writer of some letter or some book in the New Testament or, or someone's speaking or someone's saying something or Jesus is saying something, and it talks about one another, each other, one another, each other. Let me give you um, a sampling. There's about 60 of them. I'll just read them out. You can find these, you know, online or anywhere. There's this famous, famous list. Be at peace with each other. Wash one another's feet. You ever done that? This is an interesting exercise. Wash one another's feet. Love one another multiple times in the New Testament. Be devoted to one another. Honor one another. Live in harmony with one another. Stop passing judgment on one another. Accept one another. Instruct one another. Greet one another with a holy kiss. That one might be nice, right? If you're looking for a... I'm just kidding. Greet one another Uh, wait for each other, have equal concern for each other, serve one another, uh, and warnings. Uh, Don't backbite and devour one another. Um, Don't provoke one another. Carry each other's burdens. Bear with one another. uh, Be compassionate to one another. Forgive each other. uh, Speak to one another with, with music. Psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. Submit to one another. Consider one another others better than yourselves. Don't lie to each other. Bear with each other. Forgive each other. Teach each other. Admonish, admonish each other. One another. Um, uh, make your love increase and inflow for and and overflow for each other. Love each other. Encourage each other. Build each other up. Is all the New Testament. Spur one another on. Don't slander one another. Confess your sins to each other. We'll get to that in a minute. Pray for each other. Love one another deeply. Live in harmony with one another. Love each other deeply. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Um, Use your gifts to serve others. Uh, Be humble to one another. Uh, On and on and on it goes. And here's a little sample of it. We, I ask that we love one another. What a remedy for disconnection that is. And he, and he goes on. And he, he tries to explain what that means. Uh, this is love that we walk in obedience to his commands. His command is that we walk in love. And then he gives a, a warning. He says, watch out for people who are trying to deceive you, who do not acknowledge Jesus, that, that he's come in the flesh. Watch out for those people. Um, and then this little verse right at the end of the letter, little tiny little thing. I have much to write to you, but I do not want to use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to visit you and talk with you face to face so that our joy may be complete. Oh, this is a marvelous, marvelous little passage. I have so much that I want to write to you, he, he says to her, but This medium of paper and ink that I'm using is insufficient. I want to visit you and I want to talk with you face to face and have a what? A conversation. So what these little devices do, they enable us to pontificate pontification. So we get to say all of our views and all of our opinions on our Facebook pages and our Twitter feeds. We have a we have a world leader who's, you know, leading the way in Twitter feeds, okay? That's not a conversation. That's a pontification, right? It's, this is my opinion. Here it is. Everybody can take it. And we're really good at boasting and talking and posting things about ourselves. That's not a That's not a conversation. Now, you can use these things for conversation. You can even see the person on the other screen. Like, you can see their face. But how many of you know there's a difference between that and standing eyeball to eyeball with someone and looking them in the eye and seeing their, their nonverbal communication and looking at them and seeing them in 3D and smelling them and hearing them? Do, do you understand? That's a conversation that you're having. And this is a lost and dying arc. Even in the church sometimes, people are just so, wow, so, I don't know, so busy trying to get fed or I don't know. What about the conversation? That's why we have a moment in in our gatherings where you get to have conversation. And sometimes you'll remember the conversation that you had over coffee more than you will the preaching. And that's quite all right with me. In fact, I prefer that if you have a meaningful conversation with somebody and it benefits you and it encourages you and you remember that more than the sermon. Let me tell you, that's quite all right, because you've experienced church by beginning to grow in a relationship with another person that edifies you and that encourages you as you endeavor to serve the Lord together. That's all these one another's. But how can we do that without? Conversation conversation so he says this present medium of paper and ink is insufficient it's he would say the same thing today it's good that we have these things it's good that they can watch us on facebook live but oh how i long you who are watching on facebook live oh how i long to see you face to face right because face to face there's something that happens there's a chemistry that's i mean it's for free imagine does, I mean, I guess you could say it costs money. You've got to wear clothes if you're going to talk to one another, I suppose. And, you know, yeah, there's, there's some cost to it, I suppose, in an indirect fashion. But, wow, looking eyeball to eyeball with somebody and having a conversation. Uh, married people in the room or people who will be married in the room, like, do you ever do that with your spouse? Do you ever sit across from one another, take the phone, put the phone aside, Turn off the television, turn off the sports, turn off maybe the music even, and you sit there and you look at each other eyeball to eyeball, and you have a conversation. If that is awkward and that is uncomfortable, that means you have learned how not to conversate Okay, And if you want to have a healthy relationship, you need to learn to look each other in the eye and dialogue. And when you do that, you know what you do? The best thing you can do? Keep your mouth as closed as you can for as long as you can and try and listen to the other person. And just maybe the both of you just look at each other and you just look at each other, and that's it. And you're not even talking, and you're just waiting for the other. listen. Right? What does James say? I've taught on this so many times. Be quick to l- listen, he says. Slow to sp- 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 speak. Close your mouth, he's saying. Open your ears first. Close your mouth second. And at the end, at the end, at the end, be slow to become angry this what a recipe for good conversation and we can we when we have that we're going to learn to defeat um the 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 disease of disconnection and speaking of which my notes on my disconnected phone almost just died right (laughs) so conversation and this you know he would say the same thing if he was if he was preaching right here he would say This is a really good tool, but I long to see you face-to-face. And this is a great antidote for loneliness, for isolation, for disconnection. And the last one, which again seems to come out of left field, is confession. And this is in the DNA of the church above all other things in the world. This is in the DNA of the church uh, uh, from James chapter 5. And verses 13 to 18, a very famous passage uh, that we often uh, throw around, particularly in charismatic circles, we throw this passage around. Is anyone among you in trouble? Is anyone happy? Is anyone sick? Three questions he asks. Is anyone among you in trouble? Answer, let them pray. Is anyone happy? Answer, let them sing songs of praise. Is any one of you sick? Answer. Let them call on the elders of the church. This would have been some type of leaders back then to pray over them and to anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. Full stop for a moment. I've heard this passage butchered, manipulated, misinterpreted so many times. I I remember hearing one guy say, well, You know, it's not normal for you. The passage is teaching that it is not normal for you to be sick, he said. He said, Is any one of you sick? Call the elders of the church. And he was implying it's not normal for you to be sick. And I wanted to jump up and down in the meeting and say, Well, is it not normal for you to be happy then? Is it not normal for you to be in trouble then? Because he asks three questions, not one. Is any one of you in trouble? Let him pray. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs. Is any one of you sick? Let him call the elders of the church. Anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. Back then, oil had a medicinal thing to it, but it also had a, a symbolic thing, the representation of the presence of the Spirit of God, nothing magic in the oil. And the prayer offered in faith, watch this. The prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. Yes, 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 we say. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Excuse me? So what this is apparently teaching is that when someone offers up a prayer in faith, whatever that may mean, not only will it make the sick person well, and understand this is not trying to say every moment of every day and every time you offer that prayer in faith, every, every, every time. No, that's not what it's saying. It's saying in a general principle sense, when you offer that prayer up in faith, there's something very powerful about that prayer. It it will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up and apparently this sick person, if they have sinned, they will be forgiven. I've heard people say, well, you see, their sickness is a result of their sin. Nonsense. This is not what the passage is trying to teach. Now, it is sometimes true that a person can be ill because of their own their own bad choices in life and their own sin this is sometimes true but this is not always true at all he's saying if 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 they have sinned they will be forgiven what so apparently the prayer of faith that is offered Uh, uh, to this person i will pray for you i will i you know the gathering of people around them in this context and the anointing with oil and the praying over them not only will the prayer of faith be so efficient that it will make this the sick person well their sins will also be forgiven if they've sinned and there's no indication that they even repented of their sin wow that's some powerful prayer but but it continues therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other each other i confess my sins to you i pray for you you confess your sins to me you pray for me confess pray pray confess why because the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective what's he saying he's saying when you pray for that person you want to pray for that person clean. You want to go before God on behalf of that person, and you want to have confessed, you want your prayer to be an effective prayer. When you go and pray for that person who is not well, you want your prayer to be effective. So make sure you're in a place where you have confessed so that your prayer may be an effective prayer. And he goes on to justify, and he says, let me give you an example. Elijah was a human being just as we are. And he says, let me tell you the prayer that he prayed. He prayed that it wouldn't rain, and it didn't rain for three and a half years, James says. That's some good prayer. You ever prayed a prayer like that? I'd like it not to snow for three and a half years. Three and a half years, his prayer kept the rain away. Goodness, that's pretty impressive. It didn't rain for three and a half years. Again, he prayed and the heavens gave rain and the earth produced its crops. That's some, that's some efficient prayer. I'd like some of that. So what he's saying is that that's an efficient prayer because he came to God in faith because he's, it's a righteous person who's praying. This is not a passage that teaches that the sick person is somehow a sinner. This is a passage that's teaching, you're going to pray for that sick person. You better do so respectfully. You better do so in a state of confession. So what do we do with this passage, especially in charismatic circles? We have these big meetings. We have these dramatic moments. We have this big altar call. We have the music blaring. We have the people lined up at the front, and we make lines, and we'll pray for them. We put their hands on them. I've been to hundreds and hundreds of meetings like that. I've stood in the lines. I've prayed for the people. I've had myself prayed for. I mean, I've had people pray for me and try to push me over. They put their hands on my head and they try to push me down. You know what I do? I push back when they do that, like this. Come on, try and push me, right? Do, do you know? Okay, there's nothing wrong with that style, but can I just tell you, please, I have seen very little happen in those kinds of meetings, very little. Do you know why? What are we doing? We're setting up a big dramatic moment and people, people in the audience aren't dumb. If they see a lineup of 10 people praying for people, and they see, well, you know, other people come, they pray, they go back to their seat, and nothing happened. And then they see one guy or one girl, and they put their hand on someone. They're yelling. They're barking like a dog. They're falling over. They say, well, I, I want to go get that person to pray for me. Because when they pray for somebody, something happens apparently. So whatever they've got, whatever mojo they have today, I want some of whatever they have, right? So we say, well, I'm going to go pray. That guy's going to go pray for me. That girl's going to pray for me, not the other person. What do you think God thinks of that? Do you know what we're doing there? We're making a show. We're making that person the center of attention. We're making that person the one who's got the mojo. Shame on us if that's what we think is going to move the hand of God. Do you know what will move the hand of God? If the people who are standing there in those meetings and praying for people, when someone comes to them and they say, I'd like to confess my sin to you that I have struggled with pride. Now let me pray for you. That's what James is saying. James is saying you pray for that person. You come to that person in a state of confession. You come to that person in humility when you pray for that person. Pray, confess, confess, pray, pray, confess for each other, with each other. In his mind, this is a public thing. In this mind, in his mind, the relationships of people within the church are so close that they're able to be transparent with one another. And therefore, when they pray for each other, their prayer is efficient, and their prayer works and no one is the star. Nobody gets the glory. I have seen that, okay? I have seen when God does something and he does something distinctly uh, not of this world, distinctly supernatural, and you know it and everybody knows it. You know what? Nobody gets the attention except God. Nobody. It's not, well, this dude over here prayed for me, or this person prayed for me. Nope. There was all these people who were praying. There were all these people who were fasting. There was all these people. These people were were just, just interceding on my behalf. Nobody gets the glory. Nobody gets the attention. Nobody has the mojo. Nobody's a superstar because God is a superstar. God wants the glory. And this is what we see in the scripture over and over and over and over again. When Peter, who had his shadow fall on people, the man literally experienced it where his shadow crossed over a person and the person was healed. I mean, when Paul preached a message that was so long and so boring That somebody fell out of a window. His preaching was so long and boring. It's in the book of Acts. They fell out of... I mean, I see people fall asleep when I preach all the time. And I always think to myself, well, at least they're not falling out of windows and dying. Because then I'd have a lawsuit on my hands, right? Well, what did Paul do? He goes and he puts his hands on the person. The person comes back to life. Why does Paul not write about these things? Why does Peter not write about these things ever? when they put their pen to paper they're not writing about oh let me tell you when my shadow passed over this person oh let me tell you about the person I my preaching was so bad and I put them to sleep and I raised them from the dead you don't see one mention of it in their writing why because God gets the glory and not them and we would learn from this passage wow confess pray pray confess And have that transparency when you have it. I tell you, you will not be disconnected. You will not be isolated. You will be in healthy, godly, uh, uh, Christ-honoring relationships with other people within the body of Christ. And that's the power of the church. And there's nothing like it. Nothing that can solve the problem of disconnection. Like the church can. Conversation and confession. Now, on that note, the church is founded on what? On Jesus coming down, Jesus dying on the cross, Jesus rising from the dead, and Jesus building the church of which we are now a part 2,000 years later. Are you not thankful for that? I am so thankful for the church. I am so thankful for all of you with whom I have relationships with. You know that I pray for you almost every single day by name. Do you know that? And some of you who I don't know your names too well, I keep asking you over and over again. That's because when I pray for you, I want to pray for you with integrity, right? So it's not, oh, Lord, I pray for that person who looks like that. <laughs> no, I want to know your name, right? And this is this is the 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 wonder of the church is that we get to grow and we get to build into each other's lives. And there's nothing like that. And it is all founded on Jesus and what he did for us. And that's why we're going to celebrate communion as we close the service today, all right, and and and, and if Luciana can come and she's just going to play. Uh, on the piano and play something softly there. You know, that great chorus there that we sang at the end is a really, really nice one. I'd love to hear that if you're listening to me, Luciana. If you're not, it's quite all right, okay? And um, it, you have emblems, I hope, that you received when you walked in. Um, if you did not get one, uh, can is anybody around that can serve the emblems today? Jesse, yeah. If you've never... Some of you maybe you've never done this before, and you've never had communion before. All right, and I want you to participate in this today. So, whoever wants to, please, please make sure that you get an emblem. I'm going to explain what this is. All right, and maybe for some of you, again, it's a brand new experience. This is this is a little little picture of what I just talked about. This is a picture of uh, uh, what Jesus did for us, and this is an old 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 uh, uh, little. Process that we're about to partake of, okay, and and you have uh, the way we do it here is you've got juice and you've got a little wafer on the top, and it's all one-stop shop here, right? Because we're portable, we make it super easy. <laughs> but this is something that the church has been doing for two thousand years, and what we do with this is we remind ourselves, hey, Jesus said he would build his church, and he built it on the fact that he came and that he died for our sins on a cross as a substitute for us and he rose from the dead to show the world that he is indeed the son of god and he will return again one day this is what we remind ourselves again over and over again whatever is happening in life we stop and we say wait a minute wait a minute jesus came jesus died Jesus rose again and Jesus is coming again. I'm gonna be okay because he's building his church and guess what, I get to be a part of it. And this is what we remember when we celebrate communion. So I'd like you to just peel back the top layer of this little emblem here and you'll see it's just a tiny little wafer, it's very, very simple. And this is a picture that we have of the body of Christ. This is a picture, a symbol of Jesus we think of Jesus we think of what he did for us we think of his atonement on the cross but also also we're instructed by Paul in the New Testament and by others to remember this also represents the church this also represents the body of Christ it represents the person who you're sitting next to represents the person who you had coffee with and who you said hello to it represents those people too And we're to remember the body of Christ that Jesus is building around the world. So that's what this represents today. Would you just take it with me and let's remember Jesus today. Hallelujah, hallelujah. And then if you'll peel back the second layer here, it's a little thicker. And here you just have some juice. Don't worry, it isn't wine, okay? It's just grape juice. But again, this is a picture. This is a symbol. It's a little more detailed. Uh, The the picture that we see of God in the scripture is that God forgives sin. But he forgives sin on the basis of, of the ultimate atonement, the shedding of blood. And it is his own blood that he shed for us and this so this gets really detailed and we're reminded hey Jesus shed his own blood for my sin and Jesus he talked about this and he said this is the new covenant the new arrangement that God has with humanity it is in my blood signed sealed and delivered in me and in the blood that I will spill on the cross And that's what this represents today. Would you partake of it with me? Can we stand? I'm just going to close in prayer today. God, we thank you today for the church. We thank you for what you have put together, what you are building, even for the last two millennia. Uh, And, Lord, we thank you for you. You make it so simple for us You make it so easy for us to understand. And yet, God, there are so many things that can just cloud what. cloud the simplicity. We can get so busy. We can get so distracted. We can get so disconnected from one another. We can get so disconnected from you, oh God, just by living life here in the 21st century. So I pray, God, even as we've remembered you, even as we've remembered Jesus and what you've done for us, and and that you will come again, Lord. We remember and we do this until you return. Lord, help us. Help us as a church family help us as a local body as you call us in the scripture help us god to to truly conversate uh to truly have relationships one another to truly build into one another's lives to truly be so transparent with one another that we would be able to confess to one another lord to truly see our prayers be efficient God, I pray for those who are lonely today. I pray for those who are isolated today. Maybe it's the person who's the most upfront, the most seemingly unisolated, the most happy person. Sometimes that's the person who's the most alone. Oh God, through the power of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and the church, God, will you build into people's lives We pray this in the name of Jesus on this day, Canadian Thanksgiving, and everyone send.